Hey, what's going on? Sponsored by? That's not true. Alright, welcome to episode 4 of CallCast. I really enjoy doing these. Today I'm looking to give some updates on some of the professional stuff that in the first episode I told you I would keep you updated on. So here they are. Uh, as well as some life stuff. Some life stuff has definitely happened as well. So thank you guys so much for watching these. Especially those of you that make it to the end because not everybody does. I see in the analytics. But anyways, I, I still forgive you. I'll forgive you at some point. But I really enjoy uh, making this longer form content for you guys every week. So I'm keeping myself accountable to it. Um, for the uh, view count, honestly. So let's go, guys. <laughs> uh, that's why I, 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 I also put this on Spotify and Anchor, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and, and something else. But... This is fun. This this is fun. I'm I'm enjoying getting myself out there to you guys in this way. I told you guys a little bit about Tommy's Boy, right? Tommy Boy, the movie from 1995, I believe, with Chris Farley and David Spade. I am writing a sequel to that based off of a video. I can post that link somewhere here, whatever. Uh, the video is me pitching an idea about making a sequel to Tommy Boy... Called Tommy's Boy, I would be Tommy's boy, uh, named Chris, and uh, homage to Chris Farley. I, my character would uh, would be met in a life of petty crime because he grew up without a father. He never got to meet his dad. Sadly, I'm writing that Tommy Callahan from Tommy Boy uh, has passed away at some point before his son, you know, was maybe he didn't even know about him. Chris grows up, and his petty crime becomes worse in this montage. It becomes worse, and then he he goes to commit a crime out of hatred. Not a hate crime. I, I mean, I, I guess, but it's towards an ex. He goes to commit a crime towards an ex, but it fails. It goes poorly. It does not go in his favor, so he... Has to then get out of there. But he's kind of chased out of there by the people who witnessed it. Right? So, that leads to Chris kind of needing to go the straight and narrow. So he starts DJing. He knows how to DJ, just like contract gigs. At weddings, bar mitzvahs, whatever. Richard, from Tommy Boy. David Spade, Richard. I'm bringing him into this script, too. And he is going to be the owner or the uh, head manager at an old folks' home. And he hires Chris to be a DJ just for a gig, just for a day, just for an event. And Chris goes so much higher with energy and just dancing and rocking out amongst the elderly that um, it does not go very well. Chris puts himself into like, um, uh, I, I was going to say cardiac arrest, but that's not it. He um, trips over a cord mid-performance and a speaker falls on his head. <laughs> and uh, and Richard does his whole, call 911, like from Tommy Boy. It's a callback to that line. And so in the hospital, Richard is there consoling Chris, who has just injured his head, which is an actual story. Uh, let me side note here. Um, the first kitchen job that I ever had 
I worked with a guy who was about six foot three. He was um, he was kind of our wheel kitchen, if you know wheel position. He's the guy that goes out oh, walking in. We got three bacon cheeseburgers and a side of freaking nachos. You know that guy. Um, and he does the bread. He preps all the bread and sandwiches and like uh, veggies that goes on a meal. So uh, Dylan is his name. He was in a band from Michigan that's actually a pretty popular band. Uh, uh, DC level band-ish, I guess. But uh, he was one of the main starters of that band until a speaker from up high fell onto his head. He's drumming. He's a drummer, an incredible drummer from what I hear. Falls on his head, the speaker. He has to have immediate surgery all over his neck. I mean, his neck is messed up. And his back, obviously. And uh, I, he can no longer drum. Like, that power has been taken away from him. Which is so sad. But I'm taking inspiration from that Along with a story of me, when I was about seven or eight, I was in a play where I sang The Little Drummer Boy. The Little Drummer Boy? I think that's what, yes. Ba-rum-bum-bum-bum. Yes. Yeah. No, wouldn't be girl, so. <laughs> sang Little Drummer Boy. Uh, in a Christmas play, my step-grandma, she comes up. To me, because she works at an old folks home. She is like a manager or whatever. And she says, um, would you like to sing this song, Little Drummer Boy, at the old folks home? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I took it upon myself to put together a playlist of songs like um, Who's in the House by Carmen or um, Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Because I wanted to perform my first concert. I was like, this old folks home show is going to be my breakout performance. <laughs> so I go to the old folks home. I sing to Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> I get a, a pattering of applause from the elderly. You know, there's like... You know, 23 of them. I then go click <laughs> to the next song, and it's Jesus Freak. And I do the whole, uh... I saw a man with a tat on his big fat belly. He wiggled around like Mama Lee Jelly. It took me a while to catch what he said, because I had a match with the mother's belly with my head. Jesus saves his wedding graves on a typical tattoo grave. He stood on a box in the middle of the city, and he named had grave. Or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> Did that whole thing. It's, you know, I, I don't know the second rap that Toby Mac does, but... Wow, a people thing. Get they hear that I'm a Jesus freak. I'm probably going to get claimed on this episode because that was so great. And, uh... So it's a, I mean, it's a hip-hop song. I sing a hip-hop song to 23, 24 and a half elderly people. I end the song. In the middle of the song, I get told to turn it down. Like, hey, it's too loud. So, I mid-performance, I have to like go over and turn it down. I end the song, and th there is absolute silence. 
They're staring at me like, who are you? And I go, yep. So, those two stories in combination form this Tommy's Boy scene that brings Richard and Chris together for the first time where Richard finds out you're Tommy's boy. He says, are you Tommy's boy? And Chris says, yeah, but like, I don't know my dad. What do you, what do you know about my dad? Not knowing the history that Richard would have with his dad. So, um, I love the 90 degree, like the dude that I worked with and his situation with the speaker my situation with the old folks home and then Tommy boy and how those three converge into one sequence that I wrote into my script. And that's how I write. It comes directly from people I know me myself. And then sometimes several outside inspirations as well, usually in the form of films or actors, I mean, it could be anything, any sort of inspiration. Sometimes a film script idea can come from 49 different places that are me, other people, outside inspirations of some sort. I wish I could explain it a little bit better than that. I am thoroughly enjoying putting this puzzle together that is Tommy's Boy. So I, I love keeping you guys updated on this script um, I think that might be all that I say about it right now. Uh, let me talk about my Cape Fear script really quick. The Executioners, I think it was 1957 that that book came out. Phenomenal book. That book was translated, quote-unquote, into two movies in 1960-something or other. 63? When did the first Cape Fear movie come out? Released the 13th of November, 1991. No, no, let the record show that is not the first adaptation that I was asking about. Now I have to look it up. You're going to make me look it up. Cape effing fear, 1962. Jeez. Wow, 60 years since it came out. Anyways, it's with uh, Gregory Peck and um, Robert Mitchum. 1962, and then 1991. 1991, that's why I got the one of the two mixed up. Uh, 1991, uh, Martin Scorsese with Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, they released um, Cape Fear, uh, the, the second one. I am rewriting Cape Fear. I am rewriting all three adaptations, the two books and the movie. Sorry, the two movies and the book. That is what I'm rewriting. What I have in mind is I'm using huge chunks of the book. I am using the ending of the first 1962 movie, and I am using thematic sequences from the 1991 version into this now 40 years later script where Mel Gibson will hopefully, and I'm writing my perfect version of uh, what I would like to see in a script, 
Mel Gibson plays Max Cady, the convict who had to go to prison. And at the end of the first 1962 movie, he has, he, has, he goes to prison. In the, uh, my story, 40 years later, that same character, played by Robert Mitchum, would then go chase down the guy that put him into prison in the first place, Sam Bowden, who would be played by Harrison Ford, Gregory Peck's character in 1962. Are you following me? So Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford, I've always wanted to be in a movie together. Always. They have been in a movie together, but they did not share screen time. It was Expendables 3. (laughs) Expendables 3... Uh, they were in together, but it was just like uh, one scene and then, you know, a villain part, but um, never together. So I want them to share the screen together. That is such a passion of mine because I think Mel Gibson is 65 and I think Harrison Ford is about 78, maybe 79. So I don't have a lot of time, but I'm writing this script too. It is somewhat of a sequel and remake in the same project. I think I have 11 episodes of a podcast from last year in which I worked on this script and documented it in podcast form. You can check it out. It's called Colin and David Write a Movie on all podcast platforms as well. I think we made 11 episodes and then we stopped. I will be taking that project in my own hands and taking it further partially on this podcast, but I will be writing it and keeping you guys updated through this um, through this format. So thank you guys for listening to that. Okay, personal update, I have to say, my dad, I saw him today for the first time. He slipped and broke his leg. <laughs> like, he's 59. He slips and he breaks his leg. He had just sprayed down the garage. My mom comes in. She has just gotten groceries. My dad follows my mom into the house and he says, Mindy, please don't slip. I just, it's slick here. They're both wearing Crocs. Okay, they're both wearing Crocs. My dad's Crocs are a lot older. And if you've ever seen a bald tire, like with no traction whatsoever, he goes, hey, don't slip. Then he, he does this little spin move on the steps, goes to step down and his foot overextended. So his knee joint just like bent backwards and must have just exploded. My dad goes down. Uh, his head lodges in between the step and the... Sp- we good? Microphone? Okay, thanks. Uh, in between the step, which is about here from the heater. His head just lands right there. And my mom and my sister witnessed it. And they are both so traumatized by this event. Um, My mom tried to describe the sounds that my dad made. And she just became so emotional because she was like, I've never heard these sounds before from your father. Which, like, I can't even imagine the sounds that he was making. Like... I would be probably the most traumatized of seeing that scene go down. Uh, So my mom and my sister are very strong. Much stronger than I would be in that situation. So 
Uh, yeah, that happened this past week, and that's just been, um, I mean, that's that's really been a lot. He had a large plate, 12 screws, 12 weeks of using a walker, no weight on the leg and all that, so. Um, starting, uh, beginning of May, I'm going to start part-time caretaking for him, like, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I'm going to be over there just, like, from morning till early afternoon, uh, being with him while nobody else is, because, you know, he can't be alone. Uh, in case he needs anything at all, uh, he, he will need help, so I'll be part-time caretaking there. But, yeah, so that is a personal update. Um, I feel happy. I feel like a weight has really been lifted. I don't mean that physically, but, you know, metaphorically or whatever you pronounce it like. <laughs> Relieved because yesterday I heard some words that I really needed to hear from the person I needed to hear it from. And that was, again, just so, uh, so relaxing and reassuring to me. And if you were here two episodes ago, at the end of that episode is where I talk about this. But through the means of a two-hour phone call, I was, I was able to get a lot off my chest and hear from them in return just some affirmations that um, were long overdue. So, uh, I'm not crying. That was completely pleasure because that itch so bad. Now it's the nostril. Oh! Wow, dude. <laughs> like, it's nice. Like, I feel like I can um, go about my day. And just not have that heaviness over me. It's it's really nice, and it's um it's almost new because it was like two months of that heaviness. So now when you suddenly drop this uh, weight, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with feeling so much lighter now. I, I don't know what to do with it. So, I have been making music. I've been doing music on GarageBand, which has been so much fun. I open up the keyboard. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I put in the headphones and like an hour and a half passes by. And it is so much fun to play A, S, D, F, G, H, J, K, L... On the keyboard, and sometimes W and E, and then T and Y and U, and then O and P. It's fun. I am getting back into music because I've been listening to music on live streams. I've been playing my guitar, and I've been building up the callus again, so that has been really nice. I've been doing recordings of me playing guitar um, to release music this year to you guys. I, I really want to do that, so... Um, Let's make it happen. It's still early in the year, man. I mean, we're we're only till May. We're we're at May. So, music. I am a very musical person. Ever since I was three, my mom has been playing music around me, and she has noticed a musical side to me. I, I've been like bopping my head to 
good music uh, ever since I was so young, you know. I can't dance, but I can move my body to the music and to the rhythm. I have rhythm, really good rhythm. If you have comedic timing, I think that you have musical timing too. It Timing is timing. And if you have one, you have the other. That's kind of what I perceive. Musicians are absolutely hilarious. And comedians are very often very musical. And at least have rhythm or are very into a, a certain type of music as their, as their go-to to listen to. And probably have it on all the time. Like Tom Segura, I know loves hip-hop and he always has it on all the time. When he's driving... I need to have music on when I clean and do chores because it keeps my mind engaged in what I'm doing. And time just passes uh, when I'm doing very just menial tasks. Very, very tedious, tedious little buggerth. So I am excited to practice and rehearse my musical side and showcase that more to you guys. I... I really love the idea of that. And I don't plan to break into music. I just plan to carry music along with me on this journey. And I cannot thank you guys enough for being on this journey with me. Seriously. On this podcast journey. On the social media journey. On Anchor you can even subscribe to the podcast. I might add a subscription based podcast to my YouTube channel. So that you guys can subscribe. And get actually weekly perks. Now, these perks would come in the forms of messages to you guys, or shout-out, or free gifts, like merchandise. Maybe even a possible video collab. But, uh, anyways, I recently rewatched The Batman. My relationship to The Batman is that I first discovered, and I love that I discovered it this way, the 1989 Batman I watched when I was very young. I was probably eight or nine when I got to watch the second Batman from 1992, Batman uh, Forever. Returns, Batman Returns with Michael Keaton and the Penguin, Danny DeVito. (laughs) And that's the darkest one, so the next two are just super silly, so obviously I got to see those. And I was not old enough to differentiate, like, Tim Burton <coughs> Tim Burton from Joel Sch- Schumacher like the dark tone from the wacky zany comedy tone that that the other two had that killed the franchise and then they were like okay now we got to bring on Christopher Nolan and and go back to super dramatic and serious like the 1992 Batman but we got to do it in reality I always completely forget that Ben Affleck was Batman. I just skip over that one completely. But Robert Pattinson, dude. Bro, I love his Batman. I I like his Bruce Wayne. I like Alfred. I love Penguin. I love Riddler. I love Catwoman. I love Falcone. Dude, Falcone? What? Dude, like... Okay, so... There are very small things that Paul Dano will do as the Riddler, like in the video where he's uh, he's filming the guy and it's all, all like shaky cam, and then he appears in the video and he does this little like goodbye. <laughs> it is so funny to me. 
Paul Dano does these small little movements and like dips when he's angry that I know are calculated by him. That's my favorite part about it. It's a calculated movement by him that he did in the performance that I recognize as that and I love it so much. Robert Pattinson and the way that he scowls at his target is unlike any Batman that we've seen before. It was it's almost like the mask was built to have that downward almost Wolverine like scowl through the top of the eyes here. You know, which is like, uh, you know, that's what animals do when they look at you downward with their eyes like that. And I love it so much. It's almost like the, the mask was built to give off that look. And I think uh, they achieved it so beautifully. Robert Pattinson must have played around with different looks and ways that he could look. And he found that one in the performance or something. So I felt his Bruce Wayne was perfectly fine. I have no no qualms with his Bruce Wayne. He's perfectly standoffish enough. He's not emo to me. He's emotional and he's broken. And when he talks to Alfred, it's very vulnerable for the first time. And I am not attached enough to Bruce Wayne to not enjoy this uh, adaptation of him. I thoroughly loved what Robert Pattinson brought in both sides of the character, Jekyll and Hyde. Colin Farrell as the Penguin. I just watched it again on HBO Max after having an incredible viewing experience in the theater, mind you. On March 4th, I went to see it. Dude, it was perfect. People sat close to me But they left both seats beside me open. That's what I prefer. I don't like anybody right next to me. Even a friend, if I go to a movie theater, do not sit right next to me. Get over a space. Let let me breathe. Let me have both armrests. You know, my snacks, whatever. People did not sit next to me that close. And I love them for it. I was so grateful because I've had that before. Even strangers like sit next to me and I got to... I leave the movie theater early. I go get, you know, nobody sat next to me. Everybody was silent. There were no phones involved in the three-hour runtime. The imagery, the sound, my positioning in the theater. There were times where I was grinning from ear to ear in the movie theater because I loved what I was seeing. The influence of Zodiac, the influence of David Fincher with Seven, and John Doe and that villain, it's so evident, and I love that that's the tone that they were going for so much. So on HBO, I got to watch it again. Colin Farrell, I'm rewinding his performance because he does so much with his eyes, his smile, uh, he, his accent, dude, hey, hey, take it easy, sweetheart. <laughs> you know, it makes me so giddy every time I watch his performance because there's just nothing like it. Nobody else could have done it. And I totally doubted him first, but uh, he knocked my socks off, dude. Colin Farrell is the only 
Penguin that I look at right now. I'm so excited for what they have coming up with the HBO series spinoff about Penguin, as well as the sequels that I totally think he's going to be a part of. <laughs> I am so absolutely excited. I am not too keen on the next Joker. I'm going to be honest with you. That scene in the, you know, spoilers here, but that scene in the Batman with the Joker is, um, I don't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I really wanted to like it. People in my audience were like, hey, what? Like, make it sound and clap. And when he appeared on screen and I was like, oh, no, no, really? Oh, no. That can't be it. Especially when they showed part of him. I was like, no, that's not even it. And then with the deleted scene that appeared on, you know, social media a couple weeks uh, later, a couple weeks ago, I was like, dude, I'll watch it, yeah, but I am not impressed and I don't expect to be that into this Joker. Uh, good try. Maybe you'll impress me. Maybe you'll shock me. Maybe it'll be kind of horrific. Like, maybe that's the type of Joker they're going for is a more crazed and horrific Joker. And that might be it. So, I I can tolerate something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I kind of dig the haircut. The scars are okay. But I think what he's going for is very Heath Ledger mixed with obnoxious. That's That was kind of my take on it. It was very Heath Ledger mixed with obnoxious. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what's up. I, I'm not... I think Andy Serkis as Alfred is really compelling. I'm very eager to see more of that. For sure. I love how they show the Riddler. And what his crimes are. And what he's trying to do. How he sees Batman and him working together. But Batman obviously sees it completely differently. The ending feels so overwhelming like Batman I always think both times that I've seen it Batman is going to have to be Batman to the max to stop what is happening right now with all the goons that come when the Riddler's in prison and the very climax of the movie if you've seen it like every move counts for what Batman is going to have to do. He is so... He's on such a timer that he has to take out... That he has... He's on such a timer that he has to take out that guy and then that guy and then that guy now or else catastrophe happens. He has to move now without thinking. And for some reason, I love that pressure so much. It's like, dude, you better get on it. Like, when I watch it, I get so rushed and so uh, into what he's doing. I, I'm very emotionally involved. Bro, the first time that you see the Batmobile... <laughs> both times that I've seen it, okay? I have been so surprised. <laughs> Especially the first time that it happened. I was not expecting it at all. At all. I was 
so I was like this, so giddy. When you first see it, right? Like Penguin looks and you first see the Batmobile. And you go, oh, oh, like that. And then it starts up and you hear that jet engine warm up. I'm not going to do it, but it excites me so much. I, I have never, ever been so caught off guard. Um, pleasantly surprised and so overwhelmed by a Batmobile. It was absolutely such an incredible feeling. I was, that was one of the moments that I could not help but smile so big. Um. Bro, love the Batmobile. That whole chase, the whole sequence, the crash, the flips of the car, the ending of that sequence with the, the camera upside down, Batman getting out, the music. It was all just power. It was just such ultimate power that I love the seeing on screen. Matt Reeves, dude, you are absolutely... Yeah, I see... You are absolutely incredible. Dude, I love you so much, man. Because <laughs> of your work. That's it. So, I had to get that off my chest. Because the Batman... I just hope that other people experience what I did too with the Batman. I really hope people did. I gave it four, five stars both times. And I will never take that back. It's... uh Follow me on Letterboxd if you haven't. Letterboxd is where I keep up with the movies that I watched. That I have watched. That I want to watch. That are on my watch list. There's like 2,000 that I need to watch. 2,000 that I have watched. My Letterboxd is huge. The latest movie that I did watch was last night. No, that's not what it's called. But I did watch it last night. Uh, Bo Burnham's Inside. Which I've now watched three times. And each time it has meant so much to me. What he depicted about mental health, I'm just going to end it here. What he depicts about mental health, about art as a whole, about the quarantine experience and what that was for for especially artists, but definitely everybody. Definitely everybody. Being kept inside um, was just so detrimental to so many people for these two past, uh, past two years. And I... Applaud Bo Burnham's inside with every fiber of my being. I would weep if I met the dude. I just, um, I feel that project so deeply on such a spiritual level. I'll be watching it every, every six months, every, you know, something like that. Every year at least, like... It just encapsulates a, a, a time frame so perfectly. And he's so funny throughout it. But so vulnerable and deep, I, I just can't talk about it enough. I, I really love Inside by Bo Burnham on Netflix. Go check that out, man. But okay, I think I've talked enough. I just wanted to share some things, talk with you guys a little bit. And thank you guys so much for listening. Seriously, if you made it this far, especially, I don't expect a lot of people to. But the more that I do this, the more people will. 
Well, my memory card just went out, but thank you guys so much for being here. Obviously, like, it really means a lot, especially if you made it this far. So, I appreciate each and every one of you and would like to bid you adieu. Uh, until next week, peace. Bye.